What up, guys and girls? It is Bobby. And Sean. Coming at you for this week's episode of the Cronus Cast. As always, this episode is brought to you guys by Paragon Recovery. Like we've been saying, uh, I think now is more important than ever to be getting a good night's sleep with all the unrest going on with both COVID and, of course, the uh, riots going around across the country. So make sure you are getting a quick proper night's sleep and taking your anti-inflammatories to help you recover at night. Uh, specifically, their night gain supplement and their flame off supplement. Highly recommended. Great supplements. Uh, use the code Cronus for 15% off. And then if you're military or first responder, God be with you. Uh, hit them up directly for an additional discount. How was your week, man? man? Uh, good week for me, at least. Uh, pretty much got the house settled all the backyard. I built like six planters, raised planters for a garden. And then uh, I've just been like doing errands around the house. We're getting our household goods delivered on Tuesday. Uh, so it'll be finally nice to get everything settled in. That's great, man. How did all the... The functional fitness go for getting you ready for planting and sowing those oats? Uh, it was fine. My knees hurt. My back hurts from like bending over and weeding and all the other gardening work. Uh, but I don't know. It feels good. <laughs> I think we should start with some good news for the week because I think generally this podcast is going to be pretty negative, especially with some of the topics we want to hit. If you've been following the news, uh, there's only really one story out there that's worth talking about. It's something that we've discussed in the past as being pretty passionate about when it comes to you know the laws that we have in this country and the disparate impact. Um, but before we get into that, we're going to talk some general fitness uh, as the fitness plans are going to change uh, come the first of the month uh, and give you uh, an update as to where Bobby and I are in our fitness pursuits. So Bobby, what did you do? You've seen, like, those photos that I've seen that you sent are amazing. Where, where have you been? So I am now at uh, Fort Lewis. I uh, am re- This week is going to be a 55-mile week. I still have to get my miles in. This is for today. It's Sunday. But uh, I, it's been great. I uh, live, like, five minutes, ten minutes from the training areas on the east side of base. So pretty much I just drive and, uh, like, park my truck on, like, a random training area. Set some, like, north, south, west, east, and uh, boundaries and just kind of run along the trails inside the training areas and it's been great like I make sure to like stay within boundaries so I don't like you know like get in, in land if you have like panic asthma when you get like lost so I make sure I don't cross any hardball roads you know I don't make sure I don't cross any like landmarks to make sure I stay within my boundaries uh, so I don't get lost but I have an app that like uh, that like lets me know my GPS position without data and then I have like the, the Fort Lewis map on my phone too so I can practice my lane nav as i'm running that's phenomenal and and i saw photos and we were talking but that's where we were uh in the summer of 2010 right for ldec back when it was hard yes yeah uh so yeah so it's kind of funny because uh back when i was not only in ldec back here when i was like in here stationed at second id in 2013 14 i keep running through some of these training areas it's like i've been here before like I recognize, like like the other day, I'm pretty sure I ran through like the squat sticks, the sticks lands during LDAC. Yeah. Like those lands, and then I ran through like a land nav course that I'm pretty sure I did uh, with like the SPs and all the other stuff. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, it's like memory lane. Hey, you talk about like seeing some stuff that you remember. I think I could still find the abandoned 
uh, baseball field in the middle of that land nav course because I remember trying to find a point and I ran into this like spooky old baseball field in the middle of the forest that you know had been taken over by all the ferns and yeah. it's like oh I'm in the wrong fucking place this was not the point at which I was supposed to uh, end up at and I, I turned around and hit a road and you know there I was and I got back it poured rain too for our land we had so many people that showed up and they were like I can't give you credit for this point because your papers disintegrate it's like hey, that sucks for that person should have taken precautions that was actually really nice yesterday on my long run uh, because it was rainy uh, but it was like I I actually prefer running in the rain because it's like nice and cool you don't have to worry so much about your hydration because you're not sweating as much because it's cooler yeah and it was just like it was just dead quiet, and like just running through the training area, listening to the birds chirping, and then uh, it was great. Bought a new pair of uh, Salmon trail running shoes, which are like really badass, really That's awesome, shoes. Man. You run with uh, water packs sometimes, don't you? Yeah, pretty much. If I run anything more than well, just if I run in the trails, if I if I run in the trails, I'm always gonna bring water with me, just because you know, the last thing I want to do is to like get hurt on the trails and just be like kind of fucked because generally speaking there's no there's no cell service back there so i'm always like prepared to you know have a worst case scenario but if i'm running in like civilization i won't bring i usually won't bring water unless i'm running for more than an hour yeah that's smart i had that feeling yesterday i decided to run at the heat of the day here in the city uh down by the river on the hudson which was gorgeous mm-hmm. but super bright out a lot you know, yes, uh, it was more humid than it had been in the past. I ran shirtless, so I don't know if you can see it on screen, but I'm like, Ooh. I, I've got a, I was wearing a tank top, and I've got the perfect tank top lines uh, all over my body, but I got super dehydrated after about yeah. 45-ish minutes to an hour, and I had to do um, an hour 25, and I was like, I might invest in at least like a small water uh, system, not a camelback, because... Yeah, I'm not a loser, but like, you know, one of those maybe waste systems because I mean, hydration is so critical. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then like uh, if I'm like running, depends on where I'm running, because like, I'm running like around here. So like in suburbia, I can like I know I can stop and like at a gas station and buy like, you know, a bottle of water if I really need to. But then uh, if I'm like in the woods, there's like obviously I'm not going to be drinking like pond water. No, I, and I thought about like, oh, I can always stop somewhere and they've got vendors on the sides of most of these walkways in the city, but I run in ranger panties. So I've, I've got nowhere to stack cash. Oh, um, you didn't have a, so yeah, I have it's like not like the, the Sophie shorts where you have that little insert, um, on your waistband. Like these are just straight, essentially panties. Yeah. You don't wear like a like a phone holder or something like a like a ID mm-hmm. card holder or anything like that. No, I've got to figure out what I'm, what I'll do. I just don't like. I've always run incredibly bare. I've never run with headphones, phones. Uh, I mean, at the most, like, and some of, some of my shorts that I'll run in, I have like a place really pockets you can put stuff in. But um, yeah, I mean that that's one thing that I think biking more often. I've learned that nutrition and hydration during long extended periods of exercise are, are critical because like, yeah hitting that wall is just awful yeah and this is like, i i think it's like a personally it's like a great like mental boost when you can reach in your backpack i like to eat oatmeal cream pies so i have like a stash of oatmeal cream pies in my backpack when i'm running 
So it's just like a, a nice psychological boost when I pull out that oatmeal cream pie, open it up, and just nom 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 nom. nom. Delicious. <laughs> that's the that's the noise too that that's made. Uh, I've I've got like the Gatorade goose, uh-huh. and I just got a top tube uh, pack for my bike, so it's it's gonna sit right in front of me. I just unzipped that thing because mm. for a while uh, I was like really adamant I wasn't gonna buy any like biking gear no bike shirt but then you find out like the bike shirts have a couple pockets on the back so you can just reach in and so now that i got this top tube thing like i'm not gonna bike for my long endurance rides with an ll bean uh fanny pack you know around my waist where i reach behind and and grab my food it's just gonna be right there and i can just you know access it and then i'm then i'm done but uh yeah dude like hydrating during a ride is difficult hydrating during a run is difficult when i was younger i never had a problem with it and i feel so fucking old saying that yeah like i've never had to take care of my body more than like in the last two years transitioning and picking some different fitness goals no i had 100 percent agree with you i remember when i was like a fresh second lieutenant turning up to my first unit and then going to work out with my fsnco and he's like i don't know like 27 28 at the time and he's like Man, I know you can crush it now, but just wait until you get older. And I remember I was like young Bobby going, fuck that. I'll, oh, I'll be yeah. fine. Yeah, fuck that. I'll be good. I said that to but some nah. of my squad leaders, man. I had <laughs> I had some squad leaders that, you know, they weren't in terrific shape to begin with. And these aren't obviously the guys in the Ranger Regiment. But I remember being like, there's no fucking way. Like, you're just yeah. out of shape. And it's yeah, just, just been that. so long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's no way I'm ever getting into that point. But now I'm like, I'm laying there. And I was yesterday... I was being a little dramatic, but I was like, after I got back from my run, making old man noises, just grunting every single time I sat down. <laughs> I uh-huh. started just, Ugh. oh yeah, Ugh. Uh, like my knees are sore, like for a couple yes. hours. It's yes. awful. I'm so old. This is bullshit. I don't I deserve this. I'm too good looking and too fit. Yeah, so like once I hit like 28 or 29, I started having. It started going a little bit downhill at 28, 29. Now I was like 30. It's like now I have to like do an hour of stretching every night. Like an real? hour of body work every night, like making sure I sleep well every night, making sure I hydrate, eat well. Because I feel like if I eat like shit for one day, like I feel it for like more than for a couple of days. Bro, I have not been eating enough to keep up with the mileage that I've been, you know, increasing every single week. And I started this Ironman prep. I had to take a week off because uh, of a journal writing competition at school when, when we finished. Um, but so essentially been doing it for four and a half weeks. Uh, three and a half weeks if you if you count the break and i've gone from like 217 to 220 uh mm-hmm. yesterday after my run i was down to 207 um and so like i am now like every night i'm setting alarms on my phones like get my casein protein in uh, for the shakes uh i have like a mid-morning shake i'm making sure like i'm looking how many carbs i'm getting but also making sure i'm getting enough fat uh just for you know my energy source um i you know, look back when I was 21 going through air assault school, which is not the 10 hardest days in the army or 11. Uh, it's, it's, it's silly. Uh, but they were like on the six mile ruck and the 12 mile ruck. It's like every six miles or every three miles, you have to go through a, you know, one of your canteens. And I remember being like, that's fucking, I don't ever drink that much water. How am I going to like dump this out during the ruck? Or like, you know, I, one of my buddies that I did the rock with, he was like, you know, needing more water. I've just given him my canteen. Like, here you go, drink this, because I'm sure as shit not going to. I might take a uh-huh. sip over the 12 miles. And here I am after like 45 minutes yesterday, like, yeah, I would, uh, I'd jump in the Hudson right now for a swig of water. <laughs> That's crazy, man. 
uh, definitely getting old definitely changes it. It makes the game a little bit harder. Not to say like performance decreases at all. I'm pretty sure like I'm still in the best shape of my life, performance-wise. Just that it's you have to put more effort into making sure you can maintain that level of performance. Yeah, for real. And for all the we've gotten so many questions on SARMs and if you should take them. From the perspective of someone now who's 31 years old, if you're under the age of 28, don't even think about it. You don't even need to consider taking SARMs. Uh, like, <laughs> unless you're, like, over 30 and really training for something, like, outlandish, I would not recommend touching that stuff. And if you have questions on it, again, YouTube is the source to go to. But for anyone that's younger than that, thinking about taking SARMs, like, it's just completely unnecessary at, at watching these videos and looking for the results that people want because your body's good enough then like yeah. if, if you're not making you know whatever uh weight you want or whatever speed you want the drugs aren't the problem like that's just you like wait yeah. till you're older to start taking you know testosterone boosters and whatever the hell some like old retired athlete is pushing that's really just a sex pill yeah it's just like I just find it funny because, like, I don't think, like, from, like, 18 to, like, 20-something, like, low 20s, that's, like, the some of the highest testosterone you're ever going to get in your in your life. Like, there's no reason to add more testosterone. You don't need to add more testosterone. Of course, like, you know, if there are, like, if you have, like, a medical condition where you have, like, hypogonadism when you aren't producing, sure, like, you could probably go to the doctor and get it evaluated and go on the proper therapy. But, like, the vast majority of dudes, like, you don't, don't take the shortcut. I promise you. Like the shortcut is not worth it, because then it's not worth the shortcut. Absolutely. Just put not. in the work. And you're just going to be disappointed uh, with yourself when you decide to stop taking it, and you're still young and healthy, and then you see your numbers go down. It's like, you know, again, everyone's got goals and numbers in their head. Whether it's a 500 pound deadlift, 600 pound deadlift, uh, you know, name it, 315 to 405 bench or 405 to 500 pound squat if you've got a number in your head there are ways to work to getting there without trying to get that extra three to five percent from taking something that again you don't know where it's made it's not regulated and it's not coming from within the united states which is scary enough already purchasing purchasing like basic protein supplements from all these startup companies uh that you know are just getting some proprietary blend from another mass consumer like you know you don't trust it uh, uh you can you can get everything you need from healthy eating healthy cooking uh and a good fitness plan yeah definitely a good fitness plan and just recovery too is a big thing because i think a lot of guys end up um training really hard so they're training well but they're not doing everything else well that goes with you know increasing performance like sleeping well eating well like guys i mean i'm guilty of it too like when i was younger I would train really hard and just eat like shit because I was young and I could eat like shit without having any like negative physical, you know, effects. But definitely getting older, like noticing the effect of a poor diet on my performance is it compounds and it makes a big difference, especially as you get older. But then when you're younger, like you can probably you can eat whatever and train however you want, and you still get results. But yeah. you know, if you want to like get the the good results, you gotta put in the time, do the right things. Yeah. Well, I think it's probably time that we we tee up the the conversation for today uh like being here in in new york city there's been a a good amount of protests um over the killing of an unarmed 
uh, black man up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. If you haven't seen the video, having deployed uh, several times to Afghanistan, having you know seen uh, the carnage of, of different uh, combat situations, I think that video is probably one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen in my entire life. It is like disgusting is not a good enough word for or it's not an awful enough word for truly what what is captured uh, by the video and by these police officers that are just standing by. I mean, it is it's horrific and it's completely embarrassing to be honest with you for you know the amount of training these individuals are put through and then the power and trust that they wield uh, as you know servants of the people. It, it's unbelievable. What what were your thoughts when you saw the video? I was just I mean I hate to say it but it's just like it's almost like another oh another black person killed by you know cops happens like every month you hear about somebody new last you know it's just sad and it really kind of highlights the uh the the gravity and the magnitude of the situation because if you then this is just because we are able to record it nowadays like I can only imagine like you know going back to like I don't know, the last 10 years before like cell phones or like, you know, smartphones really a thing and people weren't actually recording all these acts. But it's very, like you probably, you have to imagine it's a lot more common than you, than you'd be, than you'd believe because, you know, a lot of these cases don't make it into the social, into media, news doesn't report it. And then you just wonder how many other, you know, cops like this out there that are abusing their power that, you know, have these long laundry lists of you know offenses because what's his face chauvin has it like he had a history he has a history of like complaints of like police brutality unnecessary like force yeah and like shooting had multiple shooting incidents which he was found like not guilty of or not you know was found rightful for so that goes to makes you wonder like what other you know not even systemic but kind of the um, the system of policing, like what's going on in the police and the bureaucracy that allows uh, these, you know, bad cops to still maintain a job and still stay on the force. And then what kind of message does that send to the other good cops that try to do the right thing? You know, yeah, are they going to get silenced by the other bad cops, you know? Well, it's like, thank God for like body cams now. I remember maybe four or five years ago when that discussion was happening, like, do we really need body cams uh, after the, was it Michael Brown incident uh, in Ferguson, Missouri? I believe so. Uh, they were saying like, hey, we need body cams on these police officers so we can see exactly, you know, was this a quote unquote good shooting? Um, the strangling case that was here in New York City, it's like, and cops were completely against it. Like, oh, I'm going to be, watch 24 sounds like yeah like there needs to be a level of accountability, accountability because right now like you aren't doing it enough in your own ranks you aren't holding people uh accountable and i think one of the biggest issues uh is the idea that a lot of government servants uh have you know what's called qualified immunity and so if they can justify it based on you know some doctrine within their force that they were taught uh, or, you know, some part of the job that they were, uh, you know, claiming to be responsible for, like, all of a sudden that that's let off. And the, the terrible thing is, if you had just walked up to me and for eight minutes essentially strangled me to death, uh, you know, pressing your knee on my neck, there'd be no doubt you'd be charged with murder within a day. 
And what's aggravating is within three days, uh, we still didn't know what those charges were going to be because this, again, qualified immunity essentially has to look at within the parameters of this individual's job as a government employee, a state or federal, you have to balance like these constitutional issues um, as well as the like danger of potentially intruding upon, you know, the authority that is meant to protect or meant to serve. And so it takes a long time for individuals to have to, you know, go through those facts, but it's really, it's, it just causes so much anger within a population when you know so clearly that that is not a prescribed method of detaining or de-escalating a situation. So for like, that's one of those ones where qualified immunity shouldn't even exist if whatever you did was so far outside of the norms of your job uh, that, that people have to even wait for a question or wait for a charge. It's unreal. Yeah, I just, uh, I almost like empathize with police officers across the country because, I mean, for the vast majority, I think cops are good people that mean to do well and they want to improve their communities. But then you have to like wonder, you know, what other motivations are going on behind the scenes to allow guys like this to stay on the force and their communities to keep, you know, the policing and having these extreme measures taken. Like, where's the accountability, not only from a police perspective, but like a government perspective as well. You know, I thought it was interesting, um, like years ago, I remember in Ferguson that there is a national registry for or like a, a tracking system for uh, police officers involved in the shootings or in like a, a violent incident, to put it that way. Yeah. It's like there's no way to, to track like who's doing what and where every like town, city, the county, you know, has their state has their own like reporting system and database, but there's no national database. So you know, I think a lot of it comes to accountability. And then, you know, there's, if you get, I'm sure like, like in the DOD, there's an account, there's the AARs, they get filed away. So you can go back and look at like, who's doing what and see who's doing what too. So like, why isn't there a database for police officers to look back in the records and see who does, who did what, you know? Yeah. And there's, there's like national databases for reporting crime and incidences of crime so you can kind of geographically narrow it down but it's not based on the police i think a really easy way to curb some of these like rogue police officers instead of leaving it up to the states or the municipalities because like police is all over police forces all over the country like don't belong to a single like national police force it's not mm -hmm. like the the uk i think which has like hey everyone reports to london if the United States were to move to something similar to that, be like, hey, these are the responsibilities of every single police officer that wears the uniform and carries a badge. You have to follow this checklist, you know, one through ten on training. You know, something like, you know, what all soldiers have to follow. Yeah, but then it's up, to, yeah, it's up to the states. And the states can add two, but they can't subtract. If we have that, and then you have a police officer somewhere within the country that violates that requirement, then all of a sudden it does not take the DA's office several days to come up with a charge because you automatically know, hey, step three, don't kneel on an innocent man's neck or don't kneel on a man's neck that has already been handcuffed and is just on his belly. Like, okay, yeah, violated that. Uh, next step is being charged as a fucking civilian. Like, you are no longer a police officer in terms of our review process. You are now a normal person. So that way, the individuals that want at least, 
like immediate justice and getting some charges in there are going to be satisfied and no longer connected by, you know, ties to the force. This person is no longer a police officer. And that would, you know, there'd be some, maybe some due process issues there. I'm not the guy drafting it, but in five minutes of talking about it right now, there's got to be a couple ways to make sure that there is a uh, accountability from a national police force. So what, what would you say if like, uh, for like the cops or police officers saying like, Hey, like we're just trying to do our jobs and all of these extra, all these extra rules and, and like regulations, regulate, like ref- or constricts us too much, preventing us from doing our jobs properly. I'd say to stop your bitching. Like we, it, the same thing happened in 2013, 14, when the ROE changed in Afghanistan and it went from, you know, like what was the Wild West, as you know, described to me by some of my squad leaders and soldiers, where if you were wearing black on a motorcycle and had a walkie-talkie or a cell phone in your hand around an American convoy, you know, that was potentially PID uh, for, you know, uh, the Taliban uh, radioing in your location. And you could either pursue, engage, and then it switched and people were all up in arms like, you're going to restrict us from being able to fire. It's like, no, you're a professional. Uh, when I was on my first deployment, that ROE shifted and we were like, okay, we've got to be way more uh, dialed in with what we're looking at when we raise our weapon systems. When we pull the trigger, it's like you have to be accountable for every single round that you put downrange. That's the same standard that we should hold for these soldiers, uh, excuse me, for these police officers. And what's really embarrassing is the fact that, you know, I, I've had a couple instances where we're dealing with al-Qaeda, Taliban. You're dealing with, like, some terrible people in Afghanistan. Those guys were treated better than this American citizen was whose only potential charge was forgery, not, like, terrorist acts. Like, you know, once we zip-cupped the dude in Afghanistan, like, that dude wasn't really a threat. Like, he has, you know, his man sandals on and, you know, and his... his, uh, you know, it's in the middle of the night. That dude's not going to really cause that much of a threat. Like, and you put a knee in the top of the back and put him on the ground and like, that's it. He can roll around and he can be screaming, but that dude's not going to be like a gigantic threat. And that, that kind of brings up my second point too, like real briefly, that cop that was doing it to him was skinny. Just this like lanky, skinny, looks unathletic. Like that. that's another problem with the police. I feel like these guys that have this really hyper-masculine, like, oh, I'm just a tough cop, end up being like these out-of-shape police officers that have to resort to escalation because they physically are not right for the job. They are physically either not strong enough mentally or physically to really handle the situations and environments that they're acting in. And as a result, you're killing innocent people and injuring innocent people because you yourself shouldn't be wearing a uniform. Yeah, I was imagined back to like high school. I think my view of co- I don't know, I'll say this like because I'm a little bit biased towards cops. In my view, in my like experience in high school, I just remember the the kids in high school that wanted to become cops. They said they wanted to become cops because they were bullied or were taken advantage of as like kids growing up, and they wanted to become cops to get back at those people that bullied them. So in my mind, I always view cops as these like unpopular kids who became cops because they wanted the power. I think it's a it's a huge issue with like power and empty threats. And again, we got there's so many videos out there that you can look up on YouTube where cops are just saying outlandish things to try to you know create a sense of fear and and dominate the and dominate like you know this poor person that that's being you know charged with something. But 
you know, there's just so many things wrong with that. I mean, like, not only do these police officers represent a state or a municipality, but, like, violating a person's Fifth or Fourteenth Amendment due process rights, um, you know, excessive force and un cruel and unusual punishment. I think these individuals just need to go through, like, a de-escalation of force class, more so than what they're doing now. Also, too, you watch all these videos where the cops are showing up in full riot gear, and I get why they want to wear protective gear because they're having bottles thrown at them but if you roll out into a community that is already angry mm -hmm. 300 cops wearing essentially you know like you know desert storm uh type uh body armor uh and carrying some like you know uh non-lethal weapons of course the people are going to escalate some and throw that kind of stuff if you went out there just wearing like what you're wearing every other day like, yeah, it might be a little bit scary, but you'd also approach the situation and not just be so aggressive and so violent yeah. because you have this shield on automatically. I think it's like a it, it's like a give and take thing. And that that kind of goes back to this idea of, you know, throughout the day in all these major cities, you see peaceful protests. And then it's like as soon as the sun goes down, the individuals that really don't care, I think, about the messaging are just getting out there and they're causing so much damage and violence. And on 14th Street here last night in New York City, uh, the cops would show up on one block. Uh, the next avenue over on 14th Street, individuals would light a fire. Uh, the protesters would generally move that direction. The cops would be pushing them down the street to clear the street. And the cops would be, you know, say at like 2nd Ave and at 3rd Ave, they'd start the whole process over again. And you had a big problem because these cops would show up and people would be like human obstacles for them. It's like clearly the cops are clearing the street. So I get you want to protest, but now you're not just protesting. Now you are like really causing disorderly conduct because the issue that's behind you where these criminal activities are taking place with looting or burning, you know, pieces of trash, uh, trash receptacles – that's now the priority for the police officers and the fire department to handle. And by you preventing them from doing that is just asking for trouble. And like you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. So like there's, there's so many instances where you're seeing that on the news. It's like, there's a smart way to protest. There's a really dumb way to protest. I'm completely fine with protesting because this country was founded on it with the Boston tea party. But if you don't do it in a way that either protects you, your loved ones, and, like, you really try to get in the face of a cop who at that point is trying to do his job or, like, you're in trying to intimidate that individual, like, there's a likelihood you're going to get punched in the face and it's not going to feel good. Yeah. And it's just, like, you have to really, like, what is that balance? Because violence is not the answer, but if you try to intimidate a police officer who at that point isn't just responding to a protest but responding to actual crimes going on, like, I can't protect you at that point. Like, that's mm -hmm. that's on you. You knew the situation you walked into. Like, we got to be smarter with these protests because it's getting away from the main point of why everyone's so angry. Yeah, I don't even think the people that are rioting are necessarily even, like, believing in the protest. They're literally just there to cause havoc, to, to loot, to burn stuff down, to cause crime because they just see these protests as like a an excuse to 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 wreak some havoc you know it's unbelievable and every single person last night was either on their phone like snapchatting instagramming tiktoking it like every single person had their phone out taking photos and like each one of them would literally 
have their opportunity to go up to the cops. They'd be screaming at the cops, recording it, and then they'd walk away. And, like, that's just, what is that? Like, are you there protesting or are you there for social media? And that's another thing that I want to talk about because it, like, really pisses me off with some of my law school peers. Fordham has an incredible, uh, like, public policy uh, program where you, you could really go and make some great changes for society. It's not like a big corporate law uh, institution. And a lot of people now are, like, claiming to be, like, these social justice warriors. It's like, but you've already said you wanted to do corporate law. Like, if, if you wanted to go and join the Stein program, which is a phenomenal program here, you've had plenty of time all year to get involved with these activities and to protect the marginalized communities. But putting up an Instagram post where you are, like, recognizing your own racism or your own white privilege just so, like, a couple of your friends can write back and be like, oh, my God, like, that's so brave of you. Like, I can't believe, like, you're taking a stand. It's like, how many people are following you that aren't the exact same as you? It's like a bunch of, like, you know, affluent, white, 23 Mm -hmm. to 25-year-olds that are doing the exact same thing. It's like a self-licking ice cream cone. No, nobody that's actually protesting is going, wow, wow, check out this student for, for uh, tweeting Black Lives Matter. That, guys, we did it. We did it. Like, no, you didn't. Like, put your phone down and go do something. Like, be the change you want to see. Doing it from, like, your high-rise apartment or from your dad's upstate New York cabin is bullshit. Like, that is not, that, that, that's like the antithesis of being a social justice warrior. You're just like a, that's, that's privilege. Like, and the, it's just, it blows my mind. Like, I, I want to, I want to destroy Instagram and Twitter because it, it's just creating nonsense right now. Yeah, it's like a, the, like, virtue signaling or, like, trying to say that, oh, I'm a good human being because I support this. But, like, do you really support it or are you just saying because everybody else is doing it too? Yeah. That's like on social media. It's like, it's just too easy just to, like, repost something else on on instagram or on facebook or on twitter just re- it's too easy to repost it and not offer your own actual like insight or your own beliefs on the system or on, on the ideas and it's just like i find it funny because one girl in my in my med school class she posted something about like oh you should watch what you say on social media because you know not everyone has the same privileges as you do to post on social media and like you don't want to you, are you occupying somebody else's space like I was like, this chick like last week was posting pictures of her in Cabo. It was just like, like that's the most fucking hypocritical shit I've ever seen. It's just like, people like to take these events and then twist them to suit them to make themselves feel and look better, uh, and show them you know that they're allies for for the Black Lives Matter for like Black people or people of color. When yeah. at the same time, like they just don't aren't willing to put the time or the effort or even like the uh, you know putting your body in. Uh, these protests to re- when it really counts, you know, everyone's no, just too, it's, it's too content to send it home. It's like the same people that when we were in Afghanistan and we changed the ROE, you had all these people in America like, oh my God, like he's taking away our, the soldiers right to defend themselves. And like, yes, this accent is regionalized and with an intent. Like, I can't believe he's doing that. It's like, you look back and be like, dude, have you ever served? Did you did you even volunteer? You've had this war's been going on now for over a decade, like since I was uh, what twelve, twelve, you yeah. know, twelve years old. That this thing's been going on. You've never served, so like you know, throwing up this this veil of uh, patriotism to just start ripping into somebody like 
your voice is trash. I don't I don't care about your First Amendment rights because all you're spewing right now is just this like no uh, unsubstantiated rhetoric. Uh, you're just angry for being angry. It's like if you, again, if you really cared about it, you'd either like do something to change you know the mind of your congressman, or you'd actually sign up and realize like it's not that much of a burden to make sure that what you're pulling the trigger at is the bad guy. It's the same thing here. These like really it's just white affluent educated social justice warriors that have the privilege to you know preach from their high altar somewhere so far away from the carnage uh that they just feel like they've made a difference and they'll be the first to tell you that you know this is a, a huge injustice and a week from now they'll be over it it's like sad yeah this reminds me of like the whole Kaepernick debate about him kneeling for the national anthem and it's like everybody that's outraged on social media was like has one never actually served in the military because like or like just take they're like this dishonors our military service members because he's kneeling for the anthem. I'm like, bitch, like when have you ever served? Like I, that's the only reason why that, you know, we joined the military is to defend people's rights to do to do that. Yeah. Like I like I fully stood by behind Kaepernick. Like I, I enjoyed what he was doing and what he was trying to highlight. I think his, you know, his kneeling and his stand for black lives was like super admirable and i don't care about like people like saying like oh you know came, he came from like a rich white family and like he was like a, you know a professional sports player he doesn't need the money but it doesn't matter he still took a stand for something and then i hate when people like to uh to say that like tillman was a hero and that tillman never would have kneeled for the flag but it's like tillman would have done the same exact thing it would have stood by kaepernick and done the same exact thing yeah like it's Pat free- tillman like it, people it's like, like you serve and you understand that that flag means something like those rights to protest, uh, to assemble, uh, the freedom of speech, uh, like those are all inherently American values. And the fact that people want to speak for you, I've had so many people come to like, weren't you so angry? Like, no, I that, yeah. literally that didn't even bother me. I did not care. Like the people that are getting angry are the ones that just want to project this like image that they're better than you because they're on top of whatever, you know, the mm-hmm. most current, uh, outrage outrageous thing in the news is like that it, it's so stupid like I, people are, are pretty dumb sometimes and i think this is just a, another awful example of how people are turning an awful situation around to make it about themselves rather than about the issue rather than calling their congress people rather than you know going to police departments on a regular basis not just like you know once for the protest to throw a rock or to hold up a sign and like really engaging with the police commissioner or the sheriff to make sure that everyone is following the law and how can communities uh, better be protected and served you know you just if there's a problem you can't just yell loudly and expect that it's going to change like it takes work and these people doing it over social media aren't doing work they're mm-hmm. just they're getting trying to get you know smash the like button and subscribe button yeah it's just like i hate kind of this, uh, how social media has become because it's like this is the new hip thing to do is to to say that you know i stand with whoever and whomever but it's just like do you really stand with them because i don't see you do anything to support them yeah it's pathetic I, and I, again like there is a completely marginalized community in this country and the same people that made them marginalized are now trying to take the spotlight and make it about themselves and spin this narrative that they are out there fighting for the same rights. 
again, if you just complain about something, like in the military, you've got to have a solution with it too. Uh, otherwise, you're just a poor leader. Like if you identify a problem, have a solution immediately at hand. So for calls to abolish the police forces, I mean, come on, that's that's completely unrealistic. It's It's quite frankly incredibly stupid. Like there has to be a way to fix the system. You can't just say get rid of the system. It's the same people that, you know, when the South Dakota pipeline was going in, it's like, oh, we should just get rid of all lands and give them all back to the indigenous peoples that, you know, used to own the United States or, or used to occupy different parts of the United States. It's like, all right, yes. Like, would that be nice to go back and be like, hey, these Europeans that came over here in the late, you know, early 1600s and continued to push westward uh, through this, you know, process of manifest destiny did not do right by you. And we have presidents that didn't do right by you. But, like, you cannot just say, okay, you now get to take back Florida. You know, yeah. sorry for what, you know, President Jackson put you through. Like, that's not, un- that's unrealistic. Like, let's get some real talk here about what it takes to fix the injustices in this country. And it starts with identifying an issue and a problem. Like I just said, a national police force that can regulate the ways in which, you know, de-escalation and escalation uh, of force happens. That way there's no inconsistencies and we don't have to have these states jumping through hoops like Minnesota trying to justify, you know, the the actions of bad police officers. Like, no, like just like we have a, a military and we have National Guard elements, we should have the exact same thing for police forces, a Minnesota Police National Guard-like. Figure it out. Yeah, I th- I would agree with you on that, too. But then um, I think a lot of the... Uh, what do you think is kind of holding it back and preventing these changes from happening, then? Oh, the 10th because Amendment. Feel- uh-huh. Yeah, uh, health, safety, welfare, that... It's inherently a state right um, that comes down. I mean, literally called the police powers. So if the federal government were to come in, it would kind of defeat the whole purpose of uh, federalism and this process that we've set up uh, balancing, you know, state interests and uh, national interests. But again, the U.S. Constitution uh, is the law of the land, and uh, we do have the supremacy clause within uh, Article One. Uh, that really does kind of break down, hey, if the United States wants to say that this is a national issue, uh, then this is a national issue and, and the states kind of have to abide by it. Like you, you've ratified this constitution uh, as well as this clause, which gives inherent rights to the Congress to come up with plans. I mean, it's the same thing that happened for years uh, before we used the Commerce Clause uh, in 1937 to really regulate fair wages across the country. And it's something that you could do now. It just takes a massive amount of legislation. And I really don't think that some of the more conservative states that are historically strongly against uh, national interventions are going to fall in line. And those Congress people are not going to support it. And uh, so the 10th Amendment. So if there's a there's not a federal um, motivation to change the police sort the police state or the police in each state what do you think the state governments can do because i feel like um there's a lot of inherent or already set systems that benefit directly from an overactive police force you know talking about like private prisons you talk about um 
talking about uh, like minimal sentencing and all these like systemic issues uh, that you know kind of are buoyed by having a, this active police force, this, this aggressive police force. Oh, that's like another thing with these private prison systems because some of these prisons uh, have a population that counts towards you know that county or, or that region's elected officials. Um, and so like there's been, you know, calls for individuals that are incarcerated in like upstate New York that are from, you know, uh, one of the boroughs of New York City. They're counted for that small ass county for representation in the New York state legislature. Like, how does that make sense? Like a county that shouldn't have representation or you have locations that are up here in every single state where the judges don't even have to have law degrees. They can just be nominated or elected and that area, and then all of a sudden they're doling out these punishments. It's, it's unreal. I mean, the whole there there needs to be a reform on criminal justice, but this the states themselves can create that exact same system uh, that I was expressing. That you know, again, the problem is you don't have a state police. You have a state police force, but then you know sometimes the uh, city police force doesn't you know does not fall right underneath the control of the mayor. Uh, there's a whole like a bunch of intricate systems that are built into police precincts where they are uh, and it just goes to this huge system where people can be held unaccountable uh, for years until a major problem like this happens you know like who's going to point the finger where so I don't know what the it's like not my speciality Uh, crim law was a course that I enjoy taking but you know, there's there's bigger issues uh, that are available for other study now in my second and third year coming up that, you know, I'll get into, like, you know, the role of evidence and uh, criminal law reformation. I think that's a class that's available. But outside of that, I, I really don't have a good answer for how do we fix the, uh, the policing problem. I definitely think kind of like the Afghan National Police, uh, the individuals that in that police force and are leading that police force should really represent the communities uh that they're serving and so like if you're in brooklyn like you know the police should be from brooklyn Mm -hmm. Uh, they shouldn't be from you know lower manhattan they shouldn't be from jersey making the drive across you have to have a buy-in in in your community it can't just be like some random assignment that you know you don't really have any stake in and that's really difficult because like if you come from an area like it's not like a bunch of people that grew up in Manhattan or that many people in Manhattan could fill the police forces for, you know, this entire island. Uh, it's just, it's really difficult, but there has to be some way that locals feel like they are represented by the individuals, you know, wearing badges. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Cause isn't it like the vast majority of police officers don't even live where they police? Uh, that, that might be a statistic. I'm sure it's like that in, in New York because, one, the housing is incredibly expensive mm-hmm. in the city. So you have a lot of police officers that are making, you know, 45-minute hour-long commutes either by metro or by car, uh, parking, and then going about their day. And that's the other thing. If you're taking someone's time, what, two hours a day just to get in there and serve, like, that's got to be annoying. I'd be, I'd be annoyed if I had to, say, serve at Fort Hood and I lived in Austin. Like, that, I'd show up to work every single day angered that I had to make, you know, an hour and 45 minute commute just to do my job. Like, so either pay the cops more and, and, you know, have a higher standard for them. And again, I'm speaking with, 
you know, some level of ignorance. I don't know what the standards are in every single police force because the police have been making a conscious effort over the last 20, 30 years to get better at this. But when you see things like this happen, you have to wonder why wasn't the basics of de-escalation a priority where people knew it, they were, you know, not supposed to do something so blatantly aggressive and stupid. Yeah, I think a good example of what you're saying is the uh, of policing in your communities is uh, uh, in Camden, um, it's predominantly black. And then they actually, the police officers actually marched with the protesters. And there was no violent like riots in Camden, which, you know, is a pretty rough area, pretty rough city. And then it's, it's very interesting to me that, you know, you have these different uh, approaches or strategies of integration with the community. Like in Camden County, like the Camden police officers, I've always respected a great deal because they try would try they like didn't have you know that like kind of chip on their shoulder, and actually I think they did they actually cared about you know cleaning up Camden and making Camden a safer place, and these like I was always really like always impressed by their level of professionalism, and it's just like what is what are they doing different from the other police's like other police stations and other police like or other locations that. You know, is there a way that these police officers can share some of their tips and their their strategies? Because I think they've done a great job with with integrating the community, and they actually people like believe in the police officers in Camden because they actually care about the community. And then, and that kind of like highlights the point, like why in like Minneapolis, like people, you know, it's just like this one incident is probably like the one boiling point or the one trigger point that caused that like is like years or decades of pent up aggression. Like in Ferguson, yeah. like you look at Ferguson too. It's like the but one. But the problem is like every single city has at least like one of these a year. Yeah. Where if every major city around the country has their own incidents of police brutality and an unjustified murder, you have to wonder, like, is that is that a statistic we're fine with? And if it's not, like, you have to take some more extreme measures. Uh, one thing that I've never quite understood and like you can clearly give some pushback because there are officers uh, that are serving as you know in different police capacities around the country that are killed every single year in the line of duty Mm -hmm. Uh, some you know straight assassinated by really just awful people Uh, but it always blows my mind when you know there's like five or six police officers chasing one individual and that one individual has a gun uh, and you know the guy either doesn't get any shots off and is riddled with 20 to 30 rounds. Like, was that necessary? I, again, and they make it, uh, and the argument always is like, these police officers are under a tremendous amount of stress each day, but I'd be really interested to see what the statistics are of how many police officers have fired their weapon in the line of duty. Because I guarantee you, just like the narrative is for, you know, active duty service members in Afghanistan, it's like not everyone. Oh yeah. Because like, in Afghanistan, it's like, oh, you go to Afghanistan, everyone expects that you're over there in the Wild West just pulling that trigger, just slinging lead. It's like that that could not be further from – that's like 1% of people in Afghanistan are in combat operations right now and have been for the last couple of years. That is not a majority of people. you know. And so I guarantee you it's the exact same with police officers where you only have – you know, it's like uh, Point Break. Uh, Johnny Utah's partner – is like, you know, I fired my piece in the line of duty, like, what, like, six or 12 times? Like, if that's a a representative number of how many times over the course of hundreds and thousands of patrols, yeah, like, that's not a lot. So, like, it's not like this, 
Iraq uh, invasion going through Mosul where, you know, it's literally shooting every single turn that you take. Like, it, I think it's not the, the high pressure that people are trying to make, just like the military is. Like, there are instances where you're going to be super bored for hours and days on end, and you'll have, like, maybe one instance of violence, and that's for the 1% of the people that are out there that are in one area. So I think, like, an honest conversation has to be had with, like, how much violence is truly weighing on the minds of these officers on a day basis. And, again, if you empty your clip into somebody, like, give me a break, man. Like, that, I just don't see that being called for. Yeah, Malcolm Gladwell talks about it in his book, Talking With Strangers, and that if you go into a situation with a certain mindset or a certain belief, you're going to make the situation fit that mindset or belief that you have. So, for example, if a police officer is going to a situation where they're like, the, where they have this uh, inherent or implicit bias that they think that their life is in danger when, you know, in reality it's not that in danger. They'll make, they'll see things and, and like do things that will just further that belief system. So like cops with that, you know, so for example, doing a traffic stop on like a car that looks shady, you know, these cops are instinctively are going to have like a increased level of aggression and, uh, you know, awareness and then this gets reciprocated by the person that's getting stopped. They sense the police officer is aggressive and uh, will then, you know, reciprocate back. And then it just starts this downward spiral that, you know, can end really badly for both parties when it doesn't have to. Yeah. And we talk about accountability, like individual accountability. You remember going to the shoot house and them asking you, like, hey, which rounds are yours? In what order did you shoot those rounds and you had to be able to go and say first shot, second shot, third shot, fourth shot. And then you had to be able to see like, okay, what was your general spread? Clearly like your breathing was off or, you know, your feet were too far separated or you didn't have, you know, good awareness either of the room because you were too focused on the target. Like the same thing should happen with police officers. I don't know how many times they go to the range, but that that should be a basics. Like if you're, if you're going to go and you're going to pull your pistol out like you should be able to say where every single one of your rounds is going otherwise you're just going to spray and pray and that just leads to more issues because then when you go and you find a body that's been shot 20 or 30 times that's where people are going to get angry like why like why couldn't like one bullet's good enough one to five maybe but zero chance that this dude need to be shot 20 to 30 times but I will say that uh, from what I understand that the vast majority of police officers do not have an obligation to go shoot or have an obligation to train that much. Cause I think it's a little bit different than the army where you like you get deployed. So you're in combat. So you train up for that deployment. So each cop every day is essentially a deployment for them. So when do they fit in their training? You know? So from what I'll tell I you what they don't fit in is PT. That's also like, very valid too. I, w- I watched the, bike platoon for the nypd on 14th street rolling up oh my god like super out of shape individuals and these people are on bikes like you think all day biking around dude and they're wearing bright yellow shirts like i i was 40 and just goes back to this idea that like if you're not in shape enough for the job where you could get off your bike and chase a suspect for half a mile to a mile like, there's no way that by the time you get there, you'll be cool, calm, and collected, and in shape enough. Like, we've stressed so many times, like, fitness should not be the the uh, the great separator, the great divider, that if you now have to engage with that individual, you're so smoked at the first 
you know, instinct is just to shoot them instead or, or just to, you know, escalate the situation because you're physically not, you know, healthy enough to make a, a rational choice. Like it was, I was really embarrassed. I was like, I can't believe like I'm watching this on TV. It's like, you know, if they don't show that in the military, there's a ton of overweight soldiers. I would not want that for my, you know, my city's police force to be known as like these chubby bunnies. Yeah. These fat fucks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, abs- absolutely unreal. I mean, it's like, it really, I, I was taken back because I, I, you seen some like overweight people walking around that are, you know, police officer, like whatever, like that's the dude like in, uh, what, what was that movie where there was like the bunny was a police officer, Petopia. Oh yeah. It was like yeah, a yeah. pix. Yeah. Petopia. Yeah. And like the, the fat leopard, uh, that loved donuts was like sitting at the front desk or the fat sloth. Like that's where I expect this person to work. I don't expect to put 50 on them on a bike and, you know, have them go put out fires in your city. Like that's, that's not the lifestyle or the fitness choices that should be made, uh, for these individuals. Like that just, that's got to lead to problems. I, if I was aggravated to showing up to work, had to chase down a suspect and it was like the choice of a wrestle this guy to the ground or B, fuck it, like, I think that's a knife, just shoot him. Like, if you're out of shape and you can't think on your feet because you're only worried about catching your breath, like, the easy option is going to be something that clearly has been taken more so than not. Like, that, that's a problem. Why, why that hasn't been addressed, too, is, like, another way that the police force needs to be uh, amended is, is, like, beyond me. Because, like, that, that shouldn't be in the Army. It shouldn't be. If you're wearing a badge, if you have a weapon and you are out of shape... You shouldn't have a weapon. Yeah, I always joked in college that like, uh, if any cop tried to like, as I like, if I was at a house party, if any fat cop showed up, I'd just run because there's no way a fat cop's gonna catch me. <laughs> you know, I yeah. always joke that. Yeah, or even now, if a cop has a, a taser and uh, uh, at Fort Benning, you know, <laughs> <laughs> he goes to the barracks. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, How many like tasers the, does it take to get a three seven five guy? Yeah. <laughs> But just like for real though, it's just, but like really, really like, if a cop isn't physically fit enough to chase the individual down and still maintain their cool and calm collectiveness, then you know should they really be policing? And that's like another accountability thing for each state and each whatever police department. It's just, are you really holding your your fire your your uh, policemen accountable for their physical fitness, their marksmanship, you know their um their demeanor, their kind of like their, you know, aggressiveness. And it just comes down to what kind of uh, leader leadership is being displayed at, at the, at each level, you know? No, for sure. And then uh, we talk about like some of the other, the counter protesting that's going on now. Uh, I sent you that, uh, that post where it was like, you know, it's these, again, it's, it's the same individuals that, on like the social justice, very liberal side are complaining. These are the, you know, opposite side on the right wing that are showing up in full gear, you know, that, that they purchased online with their, you know, custom AR-15s, uh, some of them rocking like, you know, AKs. They're all wearing the balaclavas. They've all got like the grunt style shirt on and the don't tread on me hats. Um, they've got their mechanics gloves on, you know, and they've got, They've got pistol bags where uh, their rifle magazine should be. They've got, like, random tourniquets all over the body. They've, they've got magazines on the back because they've seen someone once in a stack that had that. Uh, and they're showing up at these protests as if they're going to provide security. And they're, they're making sure that law-abiding citizens are protected. Like, 
go home incel. Like, you didn't do it while you were in the service, if you did even serve, or you didn't serve at all, and you just want to look like your Fortnite character. Get the fuck out of the city. Like, this is stupid. You are, you are increasing the potential for risk significantly because you wanted to show up and, like, get in this shootout where you're not even supposed to be right now. Like, that is beyond stupid to me. I, I don't understand why people that shouldn't be at these protests are showing up just to cause drama. Yeah, I think it's, like, I don't even know why, like, conservatives are railing against the protests because, you know, the idea of the protests is they're protesting against police brutality and, and police, like, overstepping their boundaries, which applies to everybody. It doesn't matter what color you are. Like, I'm sure, like, down south, like, some poor white communities, I'm sure they, the poor white communities also get abused by police officers, too. It's not just limited to, to, to black urban individuals, you know? Police everywhere yeah. across the country. Like, this isn't just a black issue or, like, a people of person of color issue. This is, like, an American issue where the police system in America has gotten to the point where they just feel that they have the power to do whatever they want to any American citizen, you know? And I just find yeah. it, I, I find mean, it, like, kind of comical that people... Like all the conservatives are are stepping or speaking against the protest because I mean at the end of the day, this protest benefits Americans, not just people of color. Certainly, people of color are are targeted disproportionately compared to white people, to white Americans, but still, it's still an American issue that we should all be united against because, you know, how many I'm sure that I'm sure that like white people get shot by cops all the time too, but you don't hear about that because you know it, it doesn't catch the media buzz. But I mean like. I'm sure, no. you know, it's just like, it doesn't make sense to me why people, this is like an American issue that we should all be for and all should be supporting because it affects all of us. No, and especially if you're like a Tea Party personnel, like this is as American as it gets. Like you, you founded your party, named it after an event in which people went and destroyed like, you know, a business. They went and they hurled this tea into the sea because, you know, it, it, it bore the name of the king. Uh, you know, it had the East India Trading Company or whatever, you know, other trading uh, individuals. They went on, they, they trespassed on someone's boat and in an act of defiance threw this tea into the Boston Harbor. And the same thing is happening around the country. Like, people are going to police forces and burning, you know, vehicles and, uh, you know, causing riots. And, and like, there uh, again, there's too much destruction, I think, of individuals, uh, businesses and property that really have no business in this. Like, the anger should be targeted elsewhere. But it's that same sense of the American spirit of revolt of, like, hey, we need to get someone's attention to know that what they're doing, taxation with that representation is wrong. Like, get out of my city. Like, that's the kind of thing that, like, I feel like Tea Party individuals should be behind. Instead, you've got individuals that are just, like, questioning who these protesters are, trying to get away, too, with calling them, like, a racial epitaph, epitaph without, like, saying it. Like, oh, they're thugs. It's like, okay, we know what you mean, Sean Hannity. Like, <laughs> we know what you mean, President Trump. Like, you, you don't have to, like, you know, dumb it down for everyone. I know exactly what you're getting at. And, again, this, this is also one thing I want to say from, like, a, a personal perspective is – we've talked a lot about social issues on this podcast and from a political perspective, it's, it's probably clear at this point, if you've listened, like kind of where I lean generally. Um, 
And so, like, I don't want you to think that I have no respect for the office. I don't want you to think or this company has, you know, uh, you know, a lack of respect for authority. I'm just wanting to bring up issues that I think need to be discussed because without conversation, we just get this polarized country. And, like, I'll clearly admit, like, I think we did earlier with, you know, the wrongs of social justice warriors online you know, but at the same time, you also have to reflect when someone uses a looting and shooting line, which has only ever been used like one time in history at a time to refer to, you know, taking a violent action against a marginalized community in Miami when there was a flare up in violence. Like you, you can't have one uh, or the other. You have to be able to identify both problems and call a spade when it's a spade. Like if you say something racist, Mr. President, like that's racist. You can't hide behind, I had no idea that that line was used. Like, oh, I, I just decided when I stepped outside today that I would say one st- small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. I don't know where that came from. Uh, I think I thought of that on my own. That's just a natural line that came to me. Like, shut up. Like, I'm not stupid. Yeah, I like the, uh, I will read out this quote from Thomas Jefferson. Uh, I sent it to you, I think yesterday. But I thought it was very appropriate uh, for what's been going on in the country. And the quote goes, and what country can preserve its liberties if their rulers are not warned from time to time that the people preserve the spirit of resistance? Let them take arms. The remedy is to set them right as the facts pardon and pacify them. Would signify a few lives lost in a century or two. The tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. It is his natural manure. Thomas Jefferson. So, like, I, I find it ironic like we we're talking about how the country this country was founded upon personal liberties and freedoms and that we have a this is that's an american as Amer- as apple pie you know it's american right to protest and to demonstrate and revolt and to have revolutions and rebel against you know rebel against the tyrants that's literally our where our how our country was founded and yet people you know kind of side make this a political issue but it's in fact like this is an american issue this is what the fabric of america this makes what makes us america's ability to have these rebellions and revolts and protests and tell the the, tell the rulers or elected officials who the power like where the power truly lies because that's a whole like we talked about before like the the divide between our political elite and the average citizen and how you know the political elite don't really care about the average citizen and all they care about is kind of staying in power, you know, staying in office and then furthering their own individual um, objectives and, and making sure that they are taken care of, you know, for sure, for sure. And then like that, an example of that, the the political elites is one thing that uh, the, the, the Trump uh, team has done like an excellent job of from a conservative side of the house is they've nominated a ton of federal judges uh, to, you know, benches across the country. So when it comes to, you know, handling questions uh, of a constitutional nature um, or, you know, transactions between individuals uh, of different states, uh, you know, satisfying like Section 1331, 1332, you know, like there's going to be a more conservative, stricter, originalist, textualist interpretation of the law, which will only, you know, benefit a more conservative country in the long run. So for individuals like Lindsey Graham to get up there and say that all of the older judges should step down so that more younger uh, conservative judges can be appointed so that the courts have an even longer 
um, and more conservative approach for, you know, 20, 30 years to come is, is something that like, you know, is getting pulled over the eyes of all the Americans. Like for, for someone that's, you know, sitting on the Judiciary Committee to recommend that judges over 60 should retire, but then won't support term limits or the same kind of a plan for congressmen to step down after the age of 60 is like, it, it is incredibly hypocritical. It's like, Senator Graham, why don't you take a seat, okay? If you're over 60 in Congress, get out. Like, yeah. the whole do as I say, not as I do thing is just unbelievable. And it's like a, I think public service in general is just really, uh, it, it's just fraught with issues. Yeah, I was, I was talking to one of my buddies last night. I was like, in what logical world or country is that the current president, who's 73 years old, is a real estate mogul turned TV celebrity, it's real like reality TV celebrity, becomes the president of the United States, and then he's running against a 77-year-old, uh, almost senile white man who has flip-flopped on every major political decision every decade thus far since being in, polit- in yeah. politics for the last 40 years. You know, like Biden was, uh, was it, was it like, uh, against like desegregation of some, of some ports? I'm just like, what, like, what country is that acceptable? And then you like look at the Congress. Women, women's right. Yeah. And like, and then you look at Congress where the average age of a congressman or a senator is 65. It's just like, how is that representative of America where it's like, what is it, 80% of Congress is white, male, you know? Yeah. It's like, how's that representative? I get, get term limits in there. Uh, as much as I am not a fan at all of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez because she has spoken so many times on issues that have no substantial backing when it comes to the economics of it, and yeah. she's an economics major from an incredibly good school up in Boston, like that just shows me you don't have what it takes to you know form coherent thoughts because you couldn't even get your basic major correct uh, when you made these you know outlandish statement, statements. Uh, but people like her should be in office. Like we need more people getting in there. I think there should be some safeguards. Like, you know, not to say that anyone uh, should be barred from running, but again, it's like you should pass some basic tests. Like, one, do you know what the major is that you just got? Uh, you know, two, um, what kind of degrees do you hold? Because you're gonna be given uh, much greater responsibility for making critical decisions uh, for this country. And see, like. You know, what is your general health? You know, when we speak about the aging community and the one thing that really like angers me from a military perspective, and I don't know why so many people in the military often, you know, will defend the president and say that it's better under President Trump than it was under President Obama, was like, this dude has shit on all of the senior leaders that we looked up to for years. Like every single four-star general, like, you know, he... He tried to besmirch, you know, General Mattis's name, and people loved Mad Dog Mattis. Like, and we forget that people are always like, "Oh, like, whatever." I mean, like, how many generals has he gone out on, and just said a load of crap? This is the same dude that claimed he was like a near major league pitcher in high school. When we we have his record from high school, he sucked at pitching. Uh, he said he was like an all star athlete, and then just like a couple years later, he comes down with a foot injury, like flat footness. So he can't even have his name registered in the draft. This draft dodger is now sitting up and calling out all these great American leaders that have served for 30, 40 years in the military. Like as a military individual who's had, you know, every single generation in my family 
has served in some capacity from World War II all the way to the present, like, that, that immediately puts me off. Who is this guy to come out here? And he's got, you know, his, his son getting out there on Instagram, you know, going to the gun range and going on all these, you know, little rich boy safaris. That, that dude, that dude almost broke his back deadlifting 315. Like, come on. Like, you are a weak, punk, little bitch. Like, when my wrist had just come out of surgery, I couldn't even grip a bar. I would have still pulled more than you. So for this guy to sit up there and judge the military and to stand on a podium and besmirch anyone's name that's ever served and made like a 1% of his wealth, I can't abide by that. The dude does not abide. And like for, from a personal level, that automatically set me off when he started saying this kind of stuff, you know, from up, and up upon high. Because that is, you know, from, from a conservative perspective, which is where I came from, I've been conservative like my entire life up until the last couple of years. That was one thing I was like, you never talk badly about the military, especially if you've never served. And so I don't understand how so many conservative individuals allow that to happen. Because like everything that he said in his past, his truthfulness, like it goes against all the teachings uh, in the Bible, against everything anyone that's been to church and grown up in that kind of you know, religious environment was taught. So like, why did we just throw out our morals and all the standards that the greatest generation defined for us for someone who, again, has a son that can't even deadlift 315 with proper form. Yeah, it's like, I, I find it funny because, like, Donald Trump does not care about veterans or the military at all. They're just, you know, another pawn in his machine of, like, you know, of his establishing whatever dominance or whatever political aims he has. And it just kind of dumbfounds me when people still in the military still support Trump when he, you know, does not give a fuck about who, us. No, and but you know what? He says that stuff, and the, it's the same people that respond to it that are the ones that got mad about Kaepernick, that are the ones that got mad about the ROE that haven't served, that just want to voice the same opinion. And again, there are a lot of individuals that have served that also support you know President Trump, and completely fine. Like, you've served, you can have that opinion. But it's the people that haven't served that I just don't understand sometimes with their rationale with the level of anger, the vitriol that they show the other side, not having any of the conversations that we should be having. Um, I just think like once you go after individuals that have been touted as like great American veterans and service people, like you've lost all credibility, especially when you have such a shady past when it comes, you know, and you still claim to be such a fit individual, what you just weren't fit enough to put on a pair of boots and actually like put your name down on the dotted line years ago when it mattered. Like that, I mean that that's just straight cowardice. Yeah, I love when he like shit on McCain too. That was crazy. Remember that? Yeah, I mean that, making fun of him and like you know yeah. he's not a real. What do you say? He's not like a a real veteran because like a real veteran or a real soldier doesn't get himself doesn't get captured. captured. Yeah. Like again, how that does not just make every person's you know blood boil that's ever put on uh, the uniform. The same people that have the POW MIA. Uh, patches yeah. on the back of their motorcycle jackets like y- you've got to be kidding me like at what point do you just say that's crossing the line I don't like because it's not like he's promoting an agenda that no other Republican would be able to do so are we saying that with an agenda that is so basically conservative fine when it comes to protecting the national interest being more ethnocentric than normal great for holding the World Health Organization accountable and a lot of these like international bureaucracies accountable for missteps and not holding like China accountable uh, for WIPO issues. That's great. 
like we need to protect American interests. But I don't need Trump doesn't have to be the guy that does it. No, I agree. Like, you just want to you wanted a troll to get up there and just say some of these awful things because he it's just playing the victim. I'm, now I'm feeling like I'm on a, a President Trump bashing trip, but like he got upset because Nancy Pelosi called him morbidly obese, <laughs> like and went nuts with that. Like, well, I don't know what to tell you, man. Like, you are fat. Like, you are super fat. Like, and but it's just playing this victim thing. You can't be such a manly man and then get upset when someone talks shit, like. Because a real man just does not care. Yeah, I was like, uh, I wonder how many people are going to call us snowflakes now because of this discussion. It doesn't bother me, man. Like, I did my time. I got out. I formed my own opinion after, you know, yeah. years of educating myself and experiencing the world. You call me a snowflake. If you want to come and get some anger out, I'll, we'll go work out too. Like, put on the running shoes and we'll have a, you know, a day of it and talk about it afterwards. But, like, just because someone does not share your your own opinion like i will never change my opinion on that guy based on what he says uh, about you know veterans and just trying to get you know the veteran vote that makes zero sense yeah um you want to start wrapping this up i think we've gone on debate for yeah a little, yeah we'll start wrapping it up before we get any more in the weeds <laughs> um but yeah i start work tomorrow it's exciting start i start uh in processing tomorrow it's gonna be great be my last first day in the army hopefully in a long time yeah and then uh you can go out and take the the medical section to do land nav with all of your like remembered knowledge from you know your lewis runs yeah it's like uh i'm actually kind of glad because originally we were supposed to sign in in our class b's but in b's you know you can't you're not supposed to wear like or you can but they didn't want us to wear like you know ribbons or patches or whatever but now we're supposed to we're gonna go on OCP so that I can kind of low key flex on everybody. Hell yeah! The scroll on the tab. Out. I would just show up in bees anyway. I I was telling you I showed up a couple times to uh, division when I was on staff in PTs because uh, I'd like they're like oh we're gonna have a meeting at division at eight thirty like well I I don't know what to fucking tell you because I finish PT you know I go from six to eight and yeah. I'm gonna eat immediately afterwards. I'm just going to stay on main post instead of coming from second brigade. And I would show up in PTs and people would just be like, like I, did no one here do PT? Like, <laughs> no, it's there's sad. no way we're having a, there's no way we're having a meeting right now, sir. If, uh, if you did the prescribed, you know, PT hours from six 30 to eight per the CG's guidance, which he has like literally blasted everywhere. So there's no way that you did that. You changed, you showed up here, you made your pot of coffee and now you're going to sit there and tell me about like, you know, a training event that I'm, you know, doesn't even affect me. Yeah. Oh, well, it'll be great. We have, I think it's eight thirty tomorrow. It's exciting. Not really. It's me. A fucking goat rope. I think I'm gonna bring a book or have something to do while I'm sitting there because probably a lot sitting around. Oh, I had a dream last night. I oh, dreamed. Yeah? I dreamed I was back at West Point, and it was the first day of class. Oof. And I dreamt that I was like, I dreamt that I didn't have my laptop. And I was like, why the fuck would I have my laptop? I graduated eight years ago. Like in my dream, I realized I graduated already. Dude, <laughs> you I ever... still have a recurring dream about stat uh, my freshman year or no, sophomore year of college where I was taking like stat two. Uh-huh. And I, it's the only exam I've ever stayed up all night for. Uh, and I truly don't remember a thing from that final. Like 
not one thing, not one part of the subject. Because uh, I think I, I just like brain dumped afterwards and I was done. But I still have dreams where like I'm like, shit, I don't remember how to solve for that that variable. Oh my god! Like, and then I'm like, wait a second, I'm 31. I'm done with that. <laughs> do you still get? Do you get ranger school dreams still? I don't know. You don't? I've never had a ranger school dream. Really? Uh-uh. Dude, I get ranger school dreams at least once a month where, like, I'll be, like, I don't know, like, mounds are in Florida, and I'm just, like, all fucked up and on patrol or some shit. You don't get ranger school dreams? No, I think one time I've had, like, a... No. <laughs> That's weird. I still... I, I think I, I don't have any dreams because I legit had a scary moment where I got, like, five major minuses from a single event, and I was, like... That's enough for me. That's a real thing. That's not like a, oh, I man. can't have a nightmare about this. This really happened. Yeah, I think I was like, I don't know if it was like, cause I was traumatized or like just hold so much like maybe like some uh, unconscious trauma or something from Ranger School and like West Point. But I just have dreams of like, like once a month I have like a West Point dream that I'm like all fucked up. Like my, like the other last month I dreamt like my room was messy. <laughs> How fucking weird is that, man? I don't know what's going on. It's just like I I know I'm dreaming. I know it's not real, but I just have these dreams of like going back to West Point or going back to Ranger School. Where I'm just like all fucked up and like I'm like freaking out because I'm fucked up and I know I'm fucked up, but I know I'm dreaming too. It's weird. Well, uh, us us regular ROTC people never have those fears because uh, yeah, we were able to get our social development out of the way uh, while you guys were singing songs, making your bed. Oh, speaking of uh, social development. Uh-uh. <laughs> no, no. I don't want to touch that. I don't want to touch that. If if you follow this guy's Instagram, you know what we're talking about. Like, I don't want to touch that. That is a it's embarrassing. That's just that's 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 your West Point classmates right there. One of them being a complete embarrassment, one of them pointing out some failures. If you know, you know. I don't want to touch that. <laughs> I was dying. Anyways, uh I guess we'll just wrap up with that. Now that I've thoroughly embarrassed myself by sharing that i have recurrent dreams about west point and ranger school both very traumatic experiences for me right nerd yeah all right all right guys we'll we'll see you next week for more interesting conversations and and being uh snowflakes yeah we'll see you guys next week until next time peace peace